gospel passage today is amazing in what it shows us about Jesus. But it also shows us and gives us pause to think that in spite of Jesus' power to heal, our world is still riddled with sin. Our world is still riddled with disease and calamity and death. So first, let's cover the setting. John chapter 5, verses 1 to 5 says, After there was uh, a great feast of the, after, the, uh, after this, there was a great feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time in the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well, whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Let's begin with two observations this morning. First, Jesus is in Jerusalem again, and he makes a point to go to the pool where people with diseases and disabilities wait for the troubling of the waters, because healing happens in this pool. And so Jesus walks in among the crowd of people. The second observation is that there was a multitude of people in these five colonnades, in these five porches. Verse 3 says, In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed. That is, that is going to be important to us when we get to verse 13 that says, Jesus had withdrawn as there was a great crowd in that place. So that, that's going to be an important point when we get to verse 13. Jesus didn't even stay around for the man to find out who it was who had healed him. So why not? Why did Jesus not stick around to explain? We will get into that in a few moments. But we know it had something to do with the crowd. Now, in verses 6 to 8, the focus is on the revelation of Jesus, what kind of person he is. It says, when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he already had been in that condition for a long time. He said to him, do, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another one steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. It seems to me that John is showing us something about Jesus' knowledge, his compassion and his power. So first, let's look at Jesus' knowledge. Verse 6 tells us when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he had been there for a long time. Jesus knew this man's situation without having to be told. 38 years he had been paralyzed and unable to walk. And perhaps all of that time he had been brought here to the pool to wait, even hoping for some kind of miracle. Could you imagine that? being brought every day of your life for 38 years to a pool and waiting and hoping. But knew Jesus, the Bible says, knew his situation. When you know Jesus, my friends, this is who he is. A person who knows you perfectly, knows everything about you from the inside out. All you have ever felt, ever thought, and ever done. Psalms 139 verses 2 to 4 says, You discern my thoughts from afar. 
Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. The more you know about Jesus, the more precious is the truth of him and the more precious does truth become. Second, let's look at the compassion of Jesus. This is one of the other things we know that makes his knowledge all the more precious for us. Jesus chooses to go to this pool. He did not have to go to that pool. He didn't sneak up on the pool. That pool did not sneak up on him. He didn't bump into it. He didn't stumble upon it. He knew what he was doing. He was going to this pool the same way he went to the he went to Samaria to find the woman at the well. The same way he went to find the kingly official whose son was sick. Jesus moves towards need this morning, not comfort. Jesus moves towards heartache and heartbroken sinners this morning, not to the self-righteous. Notice that when he asks the man in verse 6, do you want to be healed? And what does the man say? He says, does he say yes? yes. No, he doesn't, does he? Instead, he explains his tragic situation, doesn't he? In verse 7 says, Sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, another steps down before me. Jesus doesn't put much stock in the sick man's excuse for not actively seeking healing for 38 years. He also doesn't pay much stock in the sick man's ritualistic justifications either. Instead of providing a straightforward answer, the sick man tells a story explaining why his healing has been delayed. The sick man is basically saying, oh, it's okay, Jesus, I know how God works. When the angel stirs the water, I just need to get in the pool, but I have no one to help me in. There's a real sense here that godly action and thought have given way to self-pity. Self-pity is a destructive force, my friends, particularly in a believer's life. It makes the enemy of our soul laugh at us. It hinders our life's progress. Self-pity creates a self-destructive cycle of self-sabotage. Self-pity supplies us with the pleasures of being supported momentarily, to be cared for and emotionally pandered to momentarily. However, it's known to be dangerous and highly dis a highly dysfunctional way of developing emotional bonds or connections with other people. It's highly dangerous. It's a highly dysfunctional way. Self-pity is the clear evidence. It's clear evidence of faithlessness. The impotent man has lost faith. He has become hopeless. He has become faithless. He no longer expects to be healed by the pool. He has succumbed to failure. But the good thing is that in his depression and in his helplessness, Jesus meets him. Jesus asks no more questions. Jesus simply acts, verse 8, get up, take up your bed and walk. So it looks like this healing is not a response to anything religious, anything faithful that about this man or what this man has done. It looks like Jesus healed him simply because his situation was so miserable for so long. In other words, it looks like it came from Jesus' compassion, not this man's faith or righteousness. 
I've counted at least nine times in the Gospels where Jesus says, or where it says that Jesus was moved by compassion or by pity. So not only does Jesus know us perfectly, but he, also, but he is easily moved by the misery that you and I feel. His therapies are not always what we want, but that's not owing to his heartlessness this morning. Because Jesus is not heartless. He is compassionate to us in our misery. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 to 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who is in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with let us then with confession or with, with confidence, sorry, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us to help in a time of need. So Jesus' knowledge of us is complete, and his compassion towards us is great, and now his power is immediate and sovereign. Verses 8 to 9 says, Jesus said to him, Rise up, take your bed and walk, and immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. That word immediately conveys the closeness this morning of Jesus' power. When he speaks, diseased muscles and bones obey, and they obey immediately. This is the aim of John's gospel. John wants us to see the complete knowledge, the heartfelt compassion, and the sovereign power this morning of Jesus. So my friends, this is how we get to know Jesus. This is how we build a relationship with Jesus. You meet him here in his word and you speak to him. You tell him what you think and feel about his knowledge and compassion and power. You ask him to shape your thinking and your feelings around this this, this sight of his glory and then you walk out of this church building or out of your daily prayer encounter with him into the day and live in fellowship with this Jesus. Not an imaginary Jesus this morning. Not a self-made Jesus. Not a Jesus born out of self-pity. But a real Jesus. A living Jesus. Revealed with absolute authority in the words of his apostles this morning. Now, at this point in verse 9, John says something that feels abrupt. He says, and that day was the Sabbath. We're all, we're all thinking about how magnificent Jesus is and how happy the healed man must be. And then John says, it happened on the Sabbath. And we pause and say, oh, what now? <laughs> what now? What's this story really going to be all about? Is it going to be about, you know, is it going to turn into a conflict over what you are allowed to do or not do on the Sabbath? Is John going to shift from glory, the glory of Jesus to the, the ground rules of the Sabbath? Well, the answer is no. The Sabbath issue is raised, but it's raised in a way that's, that, that, that amazingly keeps the focus on the glory of Jesus. Watch what John does. He says, Jesus knows what he has done. He healed the man, he healed a man on the Sabbath, and, and told him to carry his bed as a sign of celebration that he was whole. 
What once defined this man, self-pity, what once defined this man's disability, he carries as a sign and celebration that he's been made whole. Now Jesus knows this will create conflict. Conflict, conflict in the ministry of Jesus is the furnace where the steel of his integrity is forged this morning. It's the fire, it's the fires of his conflict it's where his glory has been made to shine. So here it comes in verses 10 and 13. That the Jews therefore said to him who was cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered him, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they answered him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Now notice what is most remarkable here. Jesus healed and disappeared before the man could find out who he was he didn't even know who healed him. Does this mean this morning that Jesus had no intention to deal with this man's soul? Was Jesus content to do the uh, random miracle and then just leave the man in ignorance as to where he came from? Well, the answer to those questions is no. And we know this because verse 14, uh, it, was, it, it was Jesus who found the man, not the man who found Jesus. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. Now, Jesus had no intention of walking away from this man and leaving him with nothing more than a healed body. Notice two things. At the end of verse 13, the reason Jesus walked away from the man was that there was a crowd there. The place was filled with sick people and no doubt those who cared for them as well. If Jesus had stayed there after healing one man, there would have been a commotion of miracle-seeking people. And this is not the main thing Jesus is after. So notice secondly, now this is confirmed in verse 14. Jesus seeks out the man in the temple and tells him the real issue for his healing. So what's the issue? The issue is holiness, not health. Jesus basically says, I have healed you to make you righteous. Jesus says to the man, sin no more. In other words, stop sinning. My aim in healing your body is the healing of your soul. I have given you a gift. You didn't earn it. You weren't good enough for it. I chose you freely and I healed you. Now, live in this power. Let the gift of healing, the gift of my free grace, be a means of your righteousness. And yes, Jesus warns him that if he turns away and mocks this gift, or if he makes an idol out of his health and embraces sin as a way of life, he will perish. Verse 14 says, Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. Jesus is now speaking about the final judgment because there aren't, any, or there aren't many natural things worse than 38 years that this man endured. And the clue that we know that Jesus is speaking about the final judgment is found in verses 28 and 29 of our text. It says, Jesus said, The hour is coming 
in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who hear, or those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. In other words, I have healed you that you may be righteous and holy, that you may stop doing evil, and that you may not rise to the resurrection of judgment, but rise to the resurrection of life. I have pointed you to myself as the life giver, because I, and because I heal uh, in more ways than one. Don't turn from me to a life of sin. Now, the implications of this are huge this morning. Jesus walked into a huge multitude of sick and disabled people, according to verse 3, and he heals one man, just one, and then disappears even before the man knows who he was. He leaves hundreds and hundreds of sick and disabled people behind, unhealed. Then he finds the man in a less obvious place and puts all the focus on righteousness. Not on his healing. He puts all the focus on righteousness. And he says, sin no more. So here's the big idea. In the first coming of the Son of God into the world, we receive a foretaste of his healing power. The full healing of all his people and all their diseases and all their disabilities awaits the second coming of Christ. And the aim of these foretastes, which people receive then and people still receive now, is to call us to faith and to righteousness. Most people who suffer from disabilities in this life will have them to the day they die. And all of us, until Jesus comes again, will die of something. Here and there, some are healed. We believe in miracles. I believe in miracles. I pray for miracles. I, I always pray for miracles, and so should you pray for miracles. But even though Jesus had, has all the power, and all the power to heal, he, he, he did not usher in the final day of perfect wholeness. His healing ministry then and today points us to that day. But while this age of groaning lasts, and Romans 8 verse 23 says, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Healing this morning is um, an, uh, 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 an expectation, not a rule. And that is not because we are weak in faith. And to be sure, to be sure this morning, we might see more miracles if we were more expectant and more believing. We might see more. But Jesus left hundreds unhealed at the pool of uh, Bethesda and he told one man, he told the one man he did heal, who was not even, did not even believe on him at the time, to wake up, he says, I am pursuing your holiness. I am pursuing your righteousness. The main issue in this age, till Jesus comes, is that we meet him, and, when, and, and, that meet, and that means meeting him in our brokenness. That means meeting him in our self-pity and receiving the power of his forgiveness to pursue righteousness and holiness. So, my friends, Jesus is alive 
and his deeds are alive, he chooses to ignore traditional ways and to do new things for the sake of his name. So Jesus knows. Jesus knows everything. Jesus is compassionate. And Jesus is sovereign. And so my prayer for everyone this morning is that our Heavenly Father would open our eyes to know Jesus personally. As one who knows you. As one who has compassion for you. And is sovereign over your body and over your soul. And the one who has come with saving and healing power First for the sake of our righteousness, and then finally for the sake of our everlasting eternal health. Let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, be merciful and gracious to us and lift us out of our deplorable condition and show yourself strong in our lives. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.